Welcome to the BNA Talks podcast. With me, Wayne Massey, we're working our way through Mark chapter 7. We've called this Mark, the kingdom draws near. So as we read and think about um, these passages, we're always thinking about it in that term, what it looks like when the kingdom of God draws near. So let's dive into Mark chapter 7, reading from verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Um, let's pause there. Um, this is about um, well, this this is about what it is to be good and what it is to be holy, um, and uh, the traditions of the Jewish elders versus the practices of Jesus' disciples at the time. Now, before we dive into that, a couple of things to say. Number one, is it clear that Mark's audience is not just a Jewish audience because he explains something that a Jewish audience would have known in verse 3, if you've got that in front of you. He explains why the and why they don't eat unless they wash and the traditions of the elders. So Mark is explaining something to an audience that might not know. The other thing is just thinking about the Pharisees. Now, if you are a Christian um, and you've grown up uh, or you've had any kind of history of learning stuff about the Gospels, the Pharisees are often portrayed as the bad guys, aren't they? They're the kind of grumpy guys with all the rules um, who, who stand in the way of Jesus. And it's tempting to think they're the bad guys. And in doing so, I wonder if we might miss a challenge for us. So there are a range of ways to respond to the political and spiritual context of Jesus' day. So the, Jew, the Jewish people are not free. Uh, they are under the rule of Rome. And in various different areas, you either have Herod in charge or you have a Roman governor. We're going to meet Pilate later on in charge. But, but whatever it is, is that the, the people of God are not free in the land that God has given them. And there's a couple of ways, a number of ways that you can respond to that oppression, which is both political, but also spiritual, because of course the Romans and the Gentiles have other gods, other ways of doing things. And if their gods are seen to be in the ascendancy, what does it say about the God of the Jews, the God that you and I, or hopefully you, but definitely I follow? And so how would you respond? Well, one of the ways to respond is the Sadducees who come up in the Gospels. They were um, essentially people who, um, to think about, you might, might think about World War II in, in Europe, collaborated. Um, so they kind of collaborated with the ruling authorities and with the Romans. Um, they, they kind of assimilated themselves a little bit more with the culture around them. Another way uh, to respond might have been um, the group, the Essenes, who were the guys who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, who basically took themselves away and out into the desert to live kind of holy and separate and set-apart lives. Um, there were the Zealots, um, so Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' um, disciples. They wanted to overthrow the Romans by force and um, by, in, and, you know, violent methods. And then, of course, there were our friends, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, interestingly enough, are the closest in terms of Jesus' world to the kind of people who would have been the type of Christians that, that is the stream that we are in, um, in B&A. 
um, they would have taken the scriptures very seriously. They would have taken the call to um, individual holiness and to a devotional life very seriously. And they would have seen that actually their desire was for the kingdom of God to draw near. And they would have seen that in their devotion to the scriptures and in their devotion to the Jewish laws, um, their heart for all of that, that they were hopefully helping to usher in the kingdom of God. So, so we put them in this bad camp um, and it keeps them at arm's length. But actually, if... If I had been a Jew of Jesus' day, I probably would have been a Pharisee. I, they, I, wanted, I would have wanted to see the kingdom come, and I would have been calling everybody to get ready for it. Um, we at B&A have had um, brilliant sermons where we've talked about God calling us to get ready for what he is doing. So, so it's always very interesting when we hear about the Pharisees or when they enter into the text is to remember that, that actually um, I could easily be one of these guys. And also that their longings were good. They were just going about it in the wrong way. Now, they were living according to, um, so this is a very long introduction. It's only the first four verses, but um, holding on to the tradition of the elders. So they had the Jewish laws, but then they had added around them. They didn't want to break any of the Jewish laws. So what they did is they added other laws and traditions which helped them uh, keep away. They talked about ring fencing the laws, as it were. Basically, if I can keep these traditions of the elders these other laws and I don't break them I'm not going to get near to breaking the laws that God has given me and a lot of it was ceremonial so coming in and washing their hands from the marketplace was a very small amount of water and it was a symbol and a sign as opposed to a kind of healthy thing so um so that's that's where we are so they have come and they've noticed that Jesus's followers aren't following these ceremonial laws and they're going well why don't you why don't they do that because actually if you're talking about the kingdom of God and ushering in the kingdom. Why are your followers not following these rules of the elders that we follow? Let's read on from verse 6. Isaiah, so straight back into the Old Testament, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. Now this is the thing, they would not have seen Isaiah talking about them. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So basically the challenge Jesus lays down to these guys is you are being hypocrites. The word hypocrite literally means an actor, being somebody you are not. And he brings this challenge from Isaiah. You've got all of these traditions that you honour, but your hearts aren't in the right place. So you're doing all the right stuff. You look like you're doing all the right stuff, but your heart is in the wrong place. And then he lands this um, in a specific example. 
um, going to Moses and going to the Ten Commandments. So Moses is on your father and mother, but you have we have this other um, thing, Corbin, where you can basically dedicate stuff to God and say that's a gift to God. So you will go, oh, I've given this money, for example, or this time to God, declared it Corbin. And then when my parents are in need, I say, well, oh, no, hold on a second. I've already, I'm sorry, I've already given this away and I can't help you. And, he, and notice the place, as Moses said, but you say. And so what he's saying is you've said, you've said that your traditions are more important than, than what we find in the book, than what Moses has said. Um, and so you let your tradition of, a man, of man, of humanity, cancel out what God has said. So it, it's, quite, um, just, it's quite powerful, it's quite a challenge. Um, he then calls the crowd, verse 14, so he widens this out, conversation out from the Pharisees and the teachers. So he's speaking to them specifically, saying, guys, you're hypocrites. Your hearts are in the wrong place. You have all these rules, but actually your motivation is wrong. And then, and then he calls the crowd and he gives them an example. And it's really clever. He says, basically, the, the issue here is that the Pharisees have said, your disciples are unclean. And he goes, well, actually, what's unclean is what comes out of you and what you put in passes through. So, um, so, so what is unclean comes out of your heart and not as a response of what you put into yourself. Um, he, when he declares, therefore declaring all food clean, points to Acts 10 and to Peter and uh, the sheep. And it's a reminder that Jesus not only has authority over death and illness and creation, but of course, if he is who he says he is, and we believe he is, he has authority over, over the law and declaring what the law is. Um, and then he ends it with this list of... Um, the stuff that comes, the evil that comes from our hearts, which is very similar to Paul's list of the fruit of the um, evil nature in um, Galatians, contrasted to the fruit of the spirit. And what Jesus is doing is he is saying to a group of people who have defined spirituality in terms of action and, um, you know, deed, he, he defines it in terms of your heart and your thought life. And he is saying, actually, what's most important is what's going on inside and what flows out. Um, when um, we thought about this for church, I thought about the difference between influencers and role models. You know, an influencer and a role model can um, affect what I might wear. Um, you know, I, 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 used, um, I used my new high tops um, saying I wanted to look like Matthew Shannon. Um, but actually, I, I could buy the same shoes as Matthew Shannon, but I can never be Matthew Shannon. And that actually I can change everything on the outside, um, but I can't change my heart. And Jesus is not a role model or an influencer. He's a saviour who's come to rescue us and bring us a new heart. And the Pharisees, for all that was good about them, were trying to get there to that new heart and to the kingdom of God in their own strength and in their own means and in their own traditions when what they needed was a rescuer and a saviour. And so and they were thinking about things in terms of being clean and unclean. And Jesus was thinking about it in terms of a heart that has been changed, uh, or a heart uh, that is hard. Let's read on. Verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anybody to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, not a Jew, born in Syrophoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her daughter lying on the bed and the demon gone. 
So the region of Tyre, not liked uh, by those people from Galilee, uh, not, um, they took resources from Galilee, um, also not very Jewish. The lady comes and falls at his feet, Jairus, remember the synagogue leader, a few chapters ago did that, um, and she's got a daughter with an impure spirit. So again, this is setting up another exorcism, and it's a real reminder that Jesus is the one who battles for you against the forces of evil. Jesus battles for you against the forces of evil. Of evil. Um, so this woman, um, where she's from, she's from modern-day Syria. So again, it's a reminder that quite often it's those on the outside we're seeing in Mark's Gospel who are seeing the kingdom draw near and are seeing who Jesus is. And those, remember we've just had this conversation with the Pharisees, who should get it, who are failing to get it. Now, it's a strange thing when Jesus says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In the culture of the day, that's not as derogatory uh, as it seems. He's talking about, um, he's basically called, recognizing her as a non-Jew. He's talking about himself as a Jew, a teacher, a teacher to the Jews, and, and challenging her, saying, why are you coming to me? And um, that would have been, uh, that dog, uh, in terms of the, the language of the day, would have been seen as a, as a favored pet within the house anyway. So it's not as, as kind of derogatory as it seems. What he's not doing, he's not trying to put her down. He's just trying to, I think he's calling out her faith and what she sees in him. And so when she says even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, it's her. It's again, it's those people on the outside recognizing that Jesus is good news for everybody. Jesus is good news for everybody. And then we see, for such reply you may go, the demon has left, you, left your daughter. This, this woman's faith, she's come to Jesus and she has seen the miracle that she needs. Let's go to verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephathata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus goes to the Decapolis. It's, again, it's a mainly a Gentile region to the east of the River Jordan. Um, ten towns, ten cities, um, hence the name Decapolis. So Jesus is moving out of Israel, points to the future sort of trajectory of the church. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the, um, to the, ends of the earth. Um, so he touches his tongue. Do you see, um, if you've got the text open in front of him, this guy who's mute, Jesus touches his tongue. A lot of commentators think that's an indication of, again, it's like this isn't a coincidence. Actually, Jesus is touching the place that needs healing and is a sign that um, God is about to work and Jesus knows what he's doing. He also looks up, so he um, uh, looks up to heaven. Um, another sign about where this is, a, a, what, forgive me, I'm struggling, where is it? But Jesus touches the guy's tongue, a sign that, uh, of what's about to happen, but then looks up to heaven, a sign as to where the power that is about to heal this guy comes from. Um, and then... The man's ears are opened and his tongue is loosened. Um, he is, uh, there's a kind of, the, um, the bit about he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak at the end echoes Isaiah 35 verse 6 and the prophecy that God will heal the blind, the deaf, the lame and the mute. So we're seeing in these miracles, and um, John isn't into the signs, um, John, this is Mark, forgive me, John calls everything signs, Mark doesn't, but Mark's, oh, but, but in these 
miracles and in these we are seeing old testament prophecies again and again being revealed and and light shining on them and seeing that jesus is the fulfillment of 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 these old testament prophecies of the old testament hope and so jesus healing the deaf and the mute man is again just another sign of like who jesus is so as we go back over the chapter we have had this sense that to be made clean is to have your heart changed and it's from the inside out and not the outside in uh, we have seen that um, those on the outside quite often see who Jesus is, their need for him, um, and he rewards that faith. And we have seen that Jesus is the long-form Messiah who heals the deaf, the, um, the blind, the lame, and the mute. Um, the kingdom draws near. Our hearts are changed. Everybody gets invited in, and people are restored. We ask um, the same questions at the end of each of these, uh, up, in and out. What did this chapter tell me about what God is like? That was the up question. In, what did I need to hear as a follower of Jesus? And out, what truth struck me that makes a difference for the people I love and serve and pray for? God bless. And coming up next week is Mark chapter 8.